Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Welcome to another interview episode of the Human Technology Podcast. I had the honor to interview Apala Siobhan. And uh, I see her as one of the top professionals in the user experience usability area. We met last summer on an HCII session that we shared. It was on uh, intercultural usability, intercultural issues of, of technology. And she opened my eyes by stating that um, only 12% of all humans are white and wealthy, and they design 99% of technology, which basically leads to the fact that We're very often missing the use cases, the contexts of use that uh, poorer people have, that people have, that are not so much in the focus of the technology industry. And <clears throat> we talked about all this uh, in, the, in, in the interview, but many more things. And you can expect uh, a, an interview packed with information loaded with insights, uh, with outside views that you not had uh, up to now. And yeah, so um, thanks a lot again to Apela and um, have fun listening to this interview. Today uh, is another interview episode of the Human Technology Podcast. I'm super happy to... Welcome, Apala Lahiri Javan. Um, I met her on an ACI conference last summer, and uh, I, I found super interesting what she has uh, to say, her views, her opinions. And so I'm more than happy that you join me here as an interview guest. Welcome, Apala. Thank you so much, Peter. I'm so happy to be here because, uh, you know, again, the short interaction on that conference was very interesting indeed. And your points of view were very interesting. So, yeah, I'm also super happy to be here having this conversation. Excellent. Great. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us a bit about yourself. What, what is driving you? Why are you standing up uh, every, every morning? What, what were important turning points in your professional life? And why are you where you are today? Okay. Yeah, that's, um, that's quite a long a uh, long conversation in itself but let me let me take a shot at that so you know i feel very strongly about certain aspects of um, what design can do and it's those aspects that those perspectives that really drive me 
and those perspectives right from the beginning you know sort of um what 25 years ago when after design uh finishing my design program in uh, school i um, really decided to become a full time design professional right at that moment itself what interested me very much was to see how can design give a voice to different cultures to local cultures that was my driving point even at that time that made me investigate therefore you know if i become a designer can i bring that perspective or work towards making that happen that there should uh, local culture should always have a voice in these you know increasingly international sort of um, systems that even at that point we were beginning to work on so that's where we where i started but um then as i started to work you know in uh, human factors international where i've been for 21 years now i think uh, the the saying by the uh, sufi mystic and poet rumi where he says what you seek is seeking you is so true because i was constantly seeking in my head that can i get more experience of you know working in environments or doing projects design projects in environments that are very different from the environment that i live in so i wanted to uh, be sort of traveling in rural india staying there or in other countries which would be very different from you know of course from india all of that i was seeking all that and then through hfi all of that started to come true i was doing projects you know in rural india i was therefore staying with and in that environment even though you know for relatively short periods of time but i was and then what definitively started to give shape to what i am today and how i think today is all the work that i got an opportunity and i think a great privilege to do uh, in africa so in kenya in south africa and extensively traveling through uh, these countries you know to the deep rural pockets to the townships and of course to the big cities etc you know that changed my perspective in a very big way and i realized it is not only about local voices it is not only about uh, giving visibility and representation to local uh, cultural aspects in uh, in in you know any kind of digital space that is being used by everybody it's not just that it's about inclusivity it's about how is it that all those people who whether they live in rural india or in rural africa and similarly in other parts of the world where they do not have access or do not have equal access to technology to to just even sometimes basic um sort of necessities of life how can technology and design change the world for all of these people that became something you know much more important to me what can design do to include all these people yes of course um you know the design sort of world that i'm working in i'm designing for systems that are largely going to be used by um you know urban city dwellers across the world and uh, i know that that's generally the case but 
can one increasingly bring up the conversation with those who are sponsoring you know, these projects to talk about, but what about all the other people who are being left behind? How can there be a, a way to include them and still uh, make it worthwhile? so to speak, for, uh, for a sponsoring organization, because you know, one has to live in that reality of organizations sponsoring design, you know, clients uh, sort of uh, committing to spend on user experience design because it provides a return. So in that kind of ecosystem, how can one include those who are marginalized? That has been, I think in the last uh, about, 10, 12 years, that has been the main thing that drives me. I get up every morning, literally, you know, sort of excited to read about what other people, what other designers and uh, researchers and scholars in the field are saying, are doing, are trying. And there's so much that is now being said and being tried and experimented with that it is a very exciting time for anybody who has interests in this area of inclusive design and you know inclusive design, not just about making things you know, accessible, but going beyond that. Also questions of decolonization, you know, how can you truly uh, decolonize technology? So these are, issues that drive me and I'm just, uh, I am able to express these views, experiment, uh, whether it, you know, with research papers or uh, with projects. Uh, a lot of that is because I'm really fortunate to be working in Human Factors International where, you know, we, we are, everybody is encouraged to think about how design can make the world a better place, a more uh, equitable place. So therefore it is possible to, you know, it's not just a side thing that I do after my day job is over, but it is interweave with my day job. And that's what makes it fulfilled because then you can move the needle a little bit, even if it's a little bit, you're moving it. So yeah, that's, I think uh, even uh, that was a rambling answer, but that's kind of a short answer. <laughs> yeah, 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 very cool. Uh, um, I feel that you have a view that on, on technology that I have as well, because uh, I mean, if there is no value in technology, if it doesn't make the life of a user of a human better, by whatever means better means, it can be faster, more focused, safer, easier, maybe even just funnier. But but if it does not have any of these values, it it is just trash. I so agree with you, and that is what you know. Uh, technologists, designers, we all have to absolutely look at the question of technology in exactly that manner. Okay, so as I said, um, last summer we met on a conference in a conference session on intercultural or cross-cultural usability, cross-cultural user experiences. Uh, we met there through our common friend uh, Rüdiger Heimgärtner, mm -hmm. who was actually on the German interview Uh, in April, so we okay. had a, a, I had an interview with him uh, a half a year ago. Okay. Um, we talked about culture, and uh, culture easily is seen as a geographical term, just like you have the Asian culture, and then you have the European culture and the U.S. American culture. Um, from from your TEDx uh, keynote and from what what you just said as well, I find out that you have a different view on this one. You you see it more related to wealth or to living uh, uh, circumstances. Can can you explain a bit on that? 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I have always looked at, uh, and perhaps increasingly in the last decade, uh, the question of culture is the question of within even one country or, you know, so within Asia, of course, there are so many different cultures, but within, say, India, there are so many subcultures and those subcultures, one is, it is about uh, different, you know, different belief systems, etc., that make up subcultures. But what also influences the way as a UX designer, I think of subcultures of our end users and their cultural situation is mediated increasingly by uh, the question of wealth, the question of privilege, the question of are you know, are people, do they have the power to change things? Do they have the agency to change anything in their own situation? So those things have also become very important for me when I consider the question of culture in relation to, you know, designing something. And um, I, you know, sort of, again, have increasingly felt that this narrative that technology, just like you said, you know, is the instrument of development and progress, and that it always has a happy ending, is, is a narrative that needs to be interrogated, because who has created the technology? Why? Is it only to increase efficiency and productivity? Um, you know, of the end user, usually at the workplace? But does it look at the end users, cultural situation, well-being, values, capabilities, needs, does it look at all that? Because we know that, you know, it, 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 the way we in, in the user experience design field, the way the, the legacy has been a kind of from the second phase of the industrial revolution, where it was all about the massive factories and assembly lines, which had to be ergonomically configured so that human performance could be engineered to achieve maximum efficiency. And this was mostly influenced by, you know, Taylorist thinking about scientific management. And so that's where uh, we saw the emergence, you know, early 20th centuries where the emergence of ergonomics, uh, human factors, engineering, all of that, uh, uh, you know, has its sort of roots. And all of that has been done well. I mean, you know, design looks at uh, UX design traditionally has always looked at um, processes by which we can increase efficiency, we, we can reduce injury or harm or hazard to end users and the environment they work in. So all that has been done well. But at what cost? Is technology being deployed looking at the ethics of the culture of the end user at the capability and the um, empowerment of the end user? Is it still, you know, gender with gender bias? Are all these questions, have they been considered? Because I sort of feel those are questions that we must always keep in mind. Modern technology, you know, in sort of Martin Heidegger's view is very extractive and very instrumental in looking at nature and people as a resource, you know. And I, I always remember Heidegger's lines saying that, you know, we tend to modern technology has made us look at a beautiful forest and immediately see furniture and um, uh, packaging in which burgers and chips will be put, you know, instead of seeing that beautiful forest, that life force. So these questions have prompted me to look at culture and say, now, 
in this world, especially with the pandemic that just, you know, that is still sort of there, um, we've, we've become situated now in a digital world. Increasingly, everybody has been forced to switch more into a digital world. Then what is going to happen to this question of culture that I think hasn't been explored fully, even when we were living in a physical or in a hybrid physical and digital world, in a less digital than it is right now. Even then, this question of culture and technology wasn't fully sort of resolved, right? And then now suddenly we are in a digital world and technology is increasingly the backbone of our everyday lives. So will this digital world and its design be based on global values or on local values? And when we say local values, what are are those values? What is what do we mean by local values? And it's not enough to just look at, you know, cultural dimensions, because there's so much debate about whether the question of cultural dimensions, as we've looked at, you know, maybe 15 years ago, does it even uh, does it even hold true? Is that the right framework to look at when we're looking at a digital world with cultures that are also, you know, a sort of undergoing change? cultures where the cultural dimension of where, whether I'm hierarchical or not hierarchical is not such a simple abstraction. It means that underlying that kind of a dimension is the question of why is it, what does it mean if a culture is more hierarchical? It means there, is, there are questions of wealth disparity, there are questions of power disparity based on maybe, you know, whether it's ethnicity or caste, et cetera, et cetera. What about those kinds of questions? Are we not, you know, how will we look at all that in creating and designing this extremely uh, sort of extreme digital world? I mean, now we're talking of the metaverse, which is all about living one's life almost in a, in a digital uh, virtual universe. So how are we going to do this? And uh, the good thing is, even as I've been looking at this question of culture in a virtual world and on whose values will this design of a, of a, of a virtual universe be based on, I see there is, a, there is emerging discussion and it is so encouraging to see this emerging discussion about how you reclaim the local and be sensitive to the planet in creating, in designing our digital environments. So that's what I am particularly interested in now when I explore the question of culture. So visualizing the future amidst all these conflicting uh, you know, possibilities, I think will become the most important activity for all of us UX research and designers who've been interested in the question of cross-cultural perspectives. And uh, it's particularly true when you, you know, look at uh, the controversial area of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, because that's where there's so much already being talked about, about the biases that are inbuilt, about uh, cultural values that are from dominant, from a dominant culture, perhaps that is being embedded into uh, into algorithms and you know machine learning systems, and the result is that the outcomes are very biased towards one way of thinking, and uh, that's that is going to create more sort of technology fueled conflicts, and it's not a simple 
uh, sort of question of oh will will people buy this system or will will people use this system if it's not reflecting their local values it can also be extremely dangerous and fuel conflicts and so we have to become more aware as we have these underlying algorithms that are becoming so important to look at how are they being created you know uh, are there new possibilities of uh, of embedding you know sort of these questions of culture looking at them and embedding those value systems and ethics into um these newer systems newer technologies that are becoming increasingly important so uh, i know that a lot of um, writing and um, discussion is going on by researchers by designers and technologists on algorithmic uh, discrimination and oppression and they're they're able to sort of trace the link with um, you know colonial racism and how those questions have in some way you know they've led to uh the the sort of structures of racial inequality which are products of history and politics but you know they're still there somewhere and so th these structures are now being replicated through algorithms which are being trained on data within a racially unequal or unjust uh, society and uh, how how what role do i play as a designer or what role do i play when i work as a designer of an ai system say uh, and work with you know the technologists how do we deal with these questions how do we make sure that these new technologies really look at ways of not being not carrying old biases forward we've had enough of you know all of those conflicts how can we use technology to actually change things because technology also has that ability it's not that it it can only uh, lead to these sorts of conflicts and these sorts of uh, situations where only one perspective is being carried forward no technology depends who is building it for what reason what awareness do the designers and developers bring to building uh, a, a a technology based system and so much technology can do and we've seen how technology has brought you know it's changed the lives of millions of people around the world by bringing access to information education healthcare in the in this one and a half years of the pandemic technology has been a savior so many times so how do we as designers make sure when we are looking at technology and creating an increasingly design uh, di uh, digital world these questions of culture are looked at not not only are they looked at but they're not just looked at at a superficial level but we look at the underlying structures that we must dismantle and make sure there's a new neutral way that technology is constructed and it allows for local you know voices individual uh capabilities needs values to find a place there so i'm very interested in this area and that's what you know sort of makes me very motivated and makes me feel really good that i'm in this field of ux design because you know it does allow me a way to contribute and see how we can create systems that are better than in this respect than they were earlier Okay, thank thank you for these deep insights. Uh, you used one term um, that um, uh, that is the technology fueled conflicts. 
How? I mean, you elaborated a little bit uh, about this, but maybe you can get a bit deeper into this. What, uh, I mean, the reasons, um, I think I understood it, but how, what is the result of such a technology-fueled conflict? So, you know, when I say technology-fueled conflict, it's a lot about how technology can be used to leave. Uh, so let's put it this way. Uh, if, if you've... Um, You know, if you if you've uh, looked at say Virginia Eubanks, who has written this very incredible book on uh, this question of technology conflict, all of it arising from inequality, and the more we divide the world, the more chances of conflict there will be. You we can already see. You know, while the pandemic was at its height, we saw how the fault lines were very clear, depending on the often, depending on the zip code you lived in, you know, you, you knew whether you were going to have a chance to live, or you better watch out, you may, you know, death may be knocking at your door, just because of the divide in what is possible for Uh, you to access because, you know, you live in a neighborhood that does not have infrastructure, does, that does not have ways in which it can um, deal with a situation like the pandemic. So the same thing is being carried forward often in technology. Technology is often created in such a manner as uh, she talks about in her book, Automat Automating Inequality, how high-tech tools profile police and punish the poor. She says, you know, what happens you're, if you're one of the, say, five million adults in the UK without regular access to the internet and with little or no computer literacy? How will you even be able to now access a totally automated system to get the, you know, the social security money. Earlier, it would have been, you would have gone to an office with a system and a person. But now if it's all going to be fully automated, then how will this, you know, these 5 million adults, how will they be able to access something as fundamental as the money that they need to make to just live, you know, if that's not going to happen, if the algorithms, and she goes on to say, what if the algorithms, you know, sort of uh, bake in existing distortions, making the, the gulf between the rich and the poor, white and, the, and black, college educated and manual worker, even more pronounced, what will happen? There'll be conflicts, there'll be more divisions, there'll be more polarization. And so that's what I mean when I say, you know, technology fuel conflicts, which the more automated everything is becoming, the more we have to be clear that we are not leaving a lot of, uh, you know, a, a large part of the population in all our countries behind because they will, they will express their anger and in, in ways that, you know, will lead to conflict and they have every right to, to express, uh, you know, what they are going through because it's so not fair. It's so not just. And I think, therefore, you know, we have to look at that question of the values and ethics that is making um, a, making an, a system, you know, that we are designing. What are 
are these values and ethics that we are putting in? Is it just and is it fair? Or are we just thinking of one particular section of the population, you know, who have always had always had privileges and access, you know, middle class, upper middle class? Are we only designing for them? So I think those questions are what I sort of think are important to consider in terms of these issues of conflicts that could arise. Yeah, I mean, this would have been my next question. What, what, what can we do about this? I mean, I'm, I'm belonging to this minority uh, of people. I'm, I'm male, I'm white, I'm uh, in my late 50s. So it seems like a lot of technology is designed for me. How can we reach those that you have in focus and those that we tend to forget? You know, I so one of the things that I um, feel does work is also because of the times we live in, I think everybody is a little bit more willing to listen and a little bit more aware than they were even two years ago. And because we've just seen how what has happened in, 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 you know, in front of our eyes in various countries, the terrible, harsh reality of uh, divisions just because you know, many people don't have access to infrastructure, basic healthcare, and what, as a result, the unnecessary loss of life that has happened, and so on and so forth. And because of that, I think there is more willingness to consider the inclusion of people. Now, I don't by any means think that, you know, it's all done. But I'll give you an example. We were working in the midst of all of this, you know, this pandemic raging, we were working for a, a client, you know, so it was a fully commercial project. And uh, the client uh, is, a, is a banking institution. And in this case, you know, as we were talking about, it was about designing their entire website, etc. Um, we brought up the issue of, would it, you know, wouldn't it be necessary for us to ask the end users in the research phase, in addition to the usual questions about, you know, the things they would do on this website, what are, what are the tasks, and, you know, the way that we would go about understanding uh, them, the main task, why they would do that, are they motivated, what makes it easy, those are usual things that we would do as UX designers. In addition, can, could we ask users about the values they would like to see in uh, in this banking you know website what should the, this website be built on what human values what needs do they have you know what deep needs do they feel are important for a website a bank to serve apart from of course finance um, what capabilities are they interested in uh, the, the website enhancing for themselves? Now, these questions are normally not part of uh, most of, you know, most of the commercial projects. These are not uh, considered really necessary, though I think they're so fundamentally necessary. But you know what? This time, as we discussed this, the client was very willing. They were very willing for us to find out what is it that users, that end users who we were going to talk with, what would emerge from a discussion about values? Would they say that, oh, it's a banking site, you know, there's no question of values, they just give us money and, you know, we, we, 
it is, it's our money that is kept there and they charge interest. Okay, so that's, you know, that's the way it is. And so what values are you talking about? Would they be skeptical or not even think that there are any value considerations? Would end users have that attitude? Would end users look at needs and say, well, my need is that I have to keep my money safe. It has to grow and that's it. And sometimes I need to borrow. Would they not go beyond that? Uh, so we were very interested. And so, you know, we since the client very, very much, you know, sort of to our pleasant surprise was willing to collaborate on including these kinds of questions. We decided to include questions about um, universal value sets and what uh, what was important. What were the local values that needed to be added to a human uh, to a universal value set that may emerge from talking to end users? We took um, uh, the Chilean um, economist uh, Manfred Max Neef his his framework of human needs, you know, which is very, which is different, a different construct from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we took Max Neef's needs, which are about everybody has all these needs. I mean, there is no hierarchy. It's not that only when I, uh, when I achieve a certain set of needs, will I go on to the next level of needs. Max Neef, uh, his point of view was no, all human beings have all the needs. They vary in priority at different times and different life stages, etc. The satisfiers for those needs may be different in different cultures over time, but it, it's not that you know, some needs don't exist uh, because I have not met some lower order needs. So we took Max Neef's uh, needs framework. Then we took um, a Nobel sort of um, Nobel Prize winning uh, economist Amartya Sen's uh, human capability net uh, construct, which he and subsequently other philosophers have developed, which is, you know, what human capabilities would enable well-being of, of human beings? What, what are those capabilities? So there are there is a list of capabilities which by no means is uh, you know is final. But we took uh, a, a framework of capabilities and we you know used all this in the end user research, and it was fascinating, Peter, how different the conversation was with the end which every end user, end user started to talk about how they felt helpless looking at the death that has the the number of deaths that have happened across and we were talking of india because this was in india so across india because of the pandemic because of migrant workers not having you know not being anymore able to earn because the pandemic led to a total shutdown of industry it's especially you know industry for blue collar workers etc and here were middle class uh, uh, sort of people who one, you know, often mistakenly feels that maybe none of us really care beyond that we are, you know, we are fine and we are safe. But that was so not true. Everyone talked about how helpless they saw all this happening. They saw, you know, uh, uh, domestic workers or the small shops near their house going through so much trouble. And they wish there was a way they could help. They did what they could. And so values became a big conversation with each of them. And they talked about the kind of values that a bank ideally should have. And uh, the needs that they have, the needs were not just about finance. It was about community. It was about belonging. And so, you know, it, it was very, very uh, fulfilling to have a conversation uh, as if, you know, 
we are all these we are all these human beings and now suddenly we are connected in a deep conversation to say how everybody how our world can be our world around us can be a better place and the client was very okay to see the result so even we analyzed the results we it it was different from what we had expected or what we have done before for other uh, institutions you know like this bank so um the insights pointed to the bank needing to have a more inclusive set of offerings of course there are you know compliance and legal issues but within whatever the government regulatory issues are staying within that the bank needed to have a more inclusive outlook more inclusive offerings more inclusive communication and not just you know just saying that we do this but they really had to do some things that were different and once again they were willing not okay with all the ideas that came out of the research but with several ideas and so uh, the entire design went in a very different direction than it had ever been so i strongly believe that at this point in time there is more awareness across the table and across the board so it is the right time for designers for technologists to bring in uh, ways in which we can bring to the table what it is that end users what is it that people are really feeling and hence how can we include you know more people into the into this kind of design and the outcome of the design can impact more people i think this is more of a possibility now than it ever was but the responsibility lies with all of us to make sure we bring it bring those conversations to the table we we uh, we show you know maybe our clients and sponsors how we can move the needle to everybody's benefit nobody loses in in that and uh, taking these small steps are possible now and we should not feel shy whenever we get an opportunity of opening these conversations up and uh, i think many of them will go in positive directions yeah i that is impressive and i mean uh, that, that brings me to a point i wanted to discuss with you anyway but but you basically answered that um, i think user involvement is uh, is core for any successful product and uh, to create the, the the right level or the right kind of user experience and the right level of usability and uh, for me the main message is yeah, you want to lift uh, user involvement to a totally new level and to to um yeah you want to get deeper into this issue not only on the let's say core and hard usability facts but also on the emotional and value level yes most certainly most certainly T today if you ask me you know what is it that is most important me important to me in my sort of role as a designer it is exactly that that values ethics these must be you know front and center so i'm very very clear that that's very important and uh, we need to find ways in which they can be integrated in the design processes so that it becomes a part of the process just as creating personas uh, you know all of that is part of a design process looking at values ethics and how they are integrated how do we even find out what values uh, need to be integrated this should be part of our design process so that i i'm very very clear that that's very important now
All right. Apple, I could go on like this forever, uh, but I had a look at, at the clock and found that we oh. are a bit beyond the time frame, which doesn't matter at all, because I find it super, super interesting what, what you have to tell us. One final question. Is there anything special, any nugget, any piece of wisdom or knowledge that you want to leave for my listeners? You know, I feel, honestly, Peter, that at this point, if they are, you know, if anybody is involved in dealing with technology as in developing, um, creating, as well as designers who are working in that area of shaping technology and how that experience will uh, be out there for end users. I think it is important for all of us designers and technologists, but I'm particularly speaking with designers because two designers, because I, I am a designer, I know the, this profession the best. Uh, we must engage critically with design and critically is the operative word. So, you know, think about, think critically when you are involved in the design process and ask questions. Do not just assume that a design process that has been working for many, many years is okay to go on with. Ask questions about why is it that this process is not talking about values and ethics and culture. So ask the questions and you can only ask the questions if one engages critically with what is this you know, this design project that I'm working in, what is it that it is going to achieve? What is it that it is not? Who is being left behind? Who is being left out? Those questions, and you know, increasingly, we must ask as we go about our work. And also, I urge designers um, to understand ways in which you can make, you know, the, these uh, integrating values, integrating ethics, all of this as part of what you design. How can you do that? Think about it, read up. There's a lot of work coming out in this last one year about how different designers and researchers have tried ways in which they're using the normal design artifacts, you know, but they are sort of in some ways experimenting a little with them and seeing can we use our usual design process with a little bit of a, you know, stepping out of it a little bit and integrating questions of ethics and values. So there is already work going on. Please read up. I tell all, you know, my designer sort of uh, teams and friends that please read up and if necessary, involve yourself with these groups who are, again, it's increasingly, it's all online. So involve yourself with these uh you know, these designers and researchers around the globe who are working on these questions so that you can understand from them, you can share your perspective, and more importantly, you can bring to bear all of this knowledge into actual application in your design work. So to me, the question is that I ask at this moment, and I would ask your listeners, especially those who are in, uh, in the area of UX design, that how can you help UX design contribute to creating a fair and just world? That is the question you must always keep in mind every day. Wow, that was an excellent one. And I think 
these thoughtful sentences and and uh, these inspiring sentences make a very very good end to our interview. Apala, thank you, thank you, thank you very much uh, for giving your insights and for joining this show. I'm so delighted that I, you know, I could speak uh, sort of my mind and what really makes me feel so motivated uh, with you, Peter. Uh, that doesn't happen often. So I'm indeed very grateful for this conversation. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Join in next time. Take care and stay healthy. A final remark at the very end. We are heading towards Christmas and I will not publish an episode on December 24, which is the main Christmas day here in Germany. So I'll be back in the first week of January with a fresh episode and um, Yeah, then uh, I plan to travel to the CES in Las Vegas. I hope that uh, traveling will be possible. So the second episode in January will definitely be about the CES. However it will happen, whatever will happen there. Yeah, stay safe, stay healthy and have a happy Christmas time. <laughs>